If you've laid your worship folder aside, would you pick it up again? Because I want to make a, a connection between that last verse we just sang and uh, where I'm going in my message this morning. Because as I pondered this great hymn that Charles Wesley wrote a couple hundred years ago, it seems to me that this last verse, and I suppose all of these verses, but especially the last one, is a one stanza summary of glorious, basic Christianity. So if you want to take away Christianity with you in written form this morning, uh, you might have a Bible and that'd be your best source. And maybe the next best source this morning would be that verse right there. Um, one of the reasons that I not only love the best and greatest of contemporary worship music songs, but also the great old majestic hymns like this and can it be is because to recite the gospel in that depth is an, is an awesome thing to do, especially when it's done to great music. There's something about Christ that just is so worthy of a tune like that and um, lyrics like this. And so let me walk through this last verse with you and show you that these thoughts here are not Charles Wesley's thoughts. These are God's thoughts because they're all taken straight out of the Bible. Let's just take it a line at a time and make the connection in our heads between the line here and the Word of God, the Bible. No condemnation now I dread. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the great truth standing over this last verse, it's probably the most precious of all for a guilty sinner like me, is to hear God say through His Word addressed to me, no condemnation. That is really good Easter news. Line two. Jesus and all in Him is mine. All in Him is mine. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not then freely with Him give us all things? Maybe not every earthly convenience and maybe not every earthly comfort because they might may not be good for us. But everything that's good for us and in the end, every blessing that heaven can hold and beyond that forever and ever and ever and ever increasing joy of fellowship with the living God. All that God is for us now and forever we have in Jesus Christ over whom God says no condemnation. Line three. Alive in him, my living head. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. I have died. My life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is my life, shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. So think of it. Our lives now are hidden in Christ Jesus, and his life becomes my life, so that my life in him will appear in its fullness when he comes. Right now, 
We look just like everybody else, we Christians. We get sick like everybody else, we Christians. We sin, I hope, not quite as much as everybody else, but we sin. And therefore, you might say, big deal, what's the life? And the text says, our life is hidden with Christ in God. When he appears, all those who are united to him by faith will appear for what they really are, children of the living God, and we will shine like the sun, Jesus says, in the kingdom of our Father. And all of that is in him, and our lives in him are as sure and as rock solid as his risen life is forever. Because his life is our life, and our life is in him. Line four, and clothed in righteousness divine. These are so good, it's hard for me to decide which one is the best. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin for our sakes, so that we might become the righteousness of of God. Get this exchange now. Because this is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of the gospel. Christ was perfect. He never sinned. He was killed as a sinner. But they had to trump up charges against him. We are sinners. We deserve to die the death he died. He dies perfect. We will live imperfect because his righteousness is given to us and our sin is put on him. He dies for our sin. We live in his righteousness. Folks, that's Christianity. The great exchange. The Son of God dying in our place. We being given his righteousness. He taking on him our sins. He dies for us. We live with him forever. Line five. Therefore, bold, I approach the eternal throne. Now, you got to remember, this throne is inhabited by a just and holy God. Nobody who is laden with sin is bold before this throne. But that's what it says in the Bible. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody in this room is a sinner. And it says, bold, I approach this eternal throne. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore boldly approach the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Grace is the key here. And something else is the key that we'll come back to in a minute. Last line, verse um, line six. And claim the crown through Christ my own. This is a really audacious thing here. Not only do we boldly walk into the throne room of the holiest being in the universe who is a just judge who does not truck with sin... But we walk up and we claim a crown out of his hand. Now, crowns are for kings. 
Jesus ought to wear a crown. God the Father ought to wear a crown. And I ought to wear a crown of thorns and be crucified. But because Jesus wore the crown of thorns and because he was crucified boldly, I walk into this throne room, it says, and I claim a crown. Because crowns are not only for kings, but for kings' kids. And we in Christ, who is the Son of God, become sons and daughters of God, princes and princesses, fellow rulers, according to Revelation chapter 3, sitting with Christ on his throne someday in his kingdom. And the text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, think of it, the righteous judge, not the namby-pamby sweeps in under the rug judge, but the righteous holy judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of those who have loved his appearing. That's a good song. Don't ever give up the hymns of the Christian church when they carry that much gospel in them. I love contemporary worship music, like the one by Mark Altruga that we just sang, especially. And I love these great, old, gospel-permeated hymns, especially the way you played them. And you sang them. You sang them. Now, everything is ours in Christ, it says. Everything is ours. All is mine in Him. So the essence of Christianity is that when condemnation is taken away, no condemnation now I dread, there's not just a void there. Rather, streaming in to the removal of condemnation comes all that God is for us in Christ. Let me uh, put it in an equation. And I'll write it this way so you can see it from that side. First element in the equation is just judge. And then a plus sign, just judge. That's God. Next element in the equation is guilty sinner. That's me and you. Guilty sinner. Now the equal sign, what are you going to get on the other side? No condemnation. Now that's a very strange equation. Just judge plus guilty sinner equals no condemnation. So I want to take you to Romans 8. And so I invite you to open your Bible, if you have one, or reach for one under the pew in front of you, or uh, on the front of your worship folder is Romans 8.33, which we're going to look at, or if you have a pen in your hand, it's printed on the pen. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised. So take that with you and don't forget it. But now I want to look at the context, just two verses. And I want you to hear Paul's rhetorical questions and his strange answers. And I hope it lands on you with life-changing 
eternity opening power. So two verses, Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. Here comes this rhetorical question that Paul asks, who will bring any charge against God's elect? Now, my answer to that question before I read Paul's answer is to say, my wife, my sons, my staff, my conscience, and my God. They all have legitimate charges against me for my sin. And I am one of the elect. I say that not because I'm special. There's nothing special about the elect. God doesn't choose people on the basis of what's special about them. He chooses sinners in order to make them what they become by faith. So what's his answer? He asked me this indicting question, who will bring any charge against God's elect? And I say, lots of people are going to bring charges. Charges are being brought against me every day these days. So what's the good news here? And he answers in a strange way. He says, God is the one who justifies. Well, now what kind of an answer is that? He asked who it was who's going to bring any charge. And he, he tells me the verdict of the judge. Now, I want you to feel the force of this because God is somebody. He is really somebody. If my conscience and my wife and my sons and my staff and all of you have a legitimate charge against me because of my sin... Uh, the judge in the first court is going to say, right, John Piper is guilty. And then, in desperation, I will say, I appeal, I appeal. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to appeal to in myself, but I'm going to holler it anyway. I appeal. And so we get this appeal to the appellate court, and we take it up a level. And all the same charges are brought, and the judge or the three-panel judge says, that was useless. You're guilty. And I say, I appeal, I appeal. And, and it makes its way up through the system to the Supreme Court, who in this case just happens to be God. You can't get any higher than God. And God delivers the verdict justified, acquitted, no condemnation. And I leap for joy. So, the equation is, just judge, John Piper, guilty sinner, equals no condemnation. How can that be? Well, the next verse gets close to the answer. In fact, I think it gets right on top of the answer. So, let's now look at verse 34. Same kind of question is asked. Who's the one who condemns? And I answer, lots of people. I condemn myself. My conscience condemns me. Can't sleep sometimes. Feel rotten. Who is the one who condemns? Now, instead of answering similarly, he, he answers a little differently this time. Or who will bring any charge? He, he, he compares that. Who will bring any charge? Who is to condemn? And now he answers, 
Christ Jesus is he who died. As if to say, if Christ died for sin, that doesn't matter who brings any charge. Your conscience can bring a charge. Your wife can bring a charge. Your children can bring a charge. Your enemies can bring a charge. God can bring a charge. It doesn't matter. Because evidently, Christ intercepts the charge, puts it on his own shoulders, and then offers him up to the judge and says, we must deal justly here. And therefore, if there's going to be an execution and a condemnation, I am it. And I think God, they planned this before the foundation of the world. God the Father looks on his son at that point, and I think half of his face is angry, really angry at sin, because he's a holy, just God. He hates sin. That's why there's so much violence in the Bible. Sin has brought terrible judgment upon the world. And God hates sin. And here's his son saying, I'm covered with it. I've drawn it away from all your people. I've covered myself with this filth. And God looks on it and he's angry. And the other half of his face, I think, looks something like, oh, my son, I love you. What a son you are to redeem my people, accept my wrath, remove their condemnation, open the door of paradise. What a son you are. Can you handle that? What a God. Angry and ready to pour out his wrath. Tears running down his face in love for his son. And then he does it. He has put him to grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. And the Lord, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I have heard preachers say, that wasn't necessary. That's tragic. Because the love of God designed that redemption for you from before the foundation of the world. And Christ took your sins to the cross and God laid them on him and killed his own son that you might live forever. Which makes me think that probably we need to now rewrite the equation. Don't we? There's one missing piece. Let's do it. Just judge plus guilty sinner. Now add this. Plus the death of Christ equals no condemnation. Now it's complete. The equation is complete. Which leaves a question like this from verse 34. You're going to leave the resurrection out? This is Easter. This is Easter. This is Resurrection Sunday. 
where does the resurrection fit? Where are you going to put it? Are you going to put it in the equation? And I sat and pondered that yesterday a long time. Should I just keep lengthening out the equation and say, just judge plus guilty sinner plus death of Christ plus resurrection of Christ, Christ plus intercession in heaven equal no condemnation? And I've decided not to do it that way, and I want to try to explain in a minute why. Ask yourself this question. If when Christ died, he bore all our sins and made a full atonement for them and hollered from the cross, it is finished. What does the resurrection add to the atonement for your sins so that they will not be held against you anymore. And I think it adds nothing except this. It is God's awesome declaration that he agrees with the words on the cross. It is finished. In other words, when he raised Jesus from the dead, he was saying, I now declare by giving life and resurrection and ascension and rule and reign to my son. I declare that the price he paid was absolutely sufficient and he doesn't have to stay dead and keep on paying for anybody's sin anymore day after day after day in the tomb. It was enough. So the resurrection life of Jesus is a constant witness to the complete, sufficient validity of the death of Christ for sinners. And similarly, if you ask, well, what about the intercession? He is, according to verse 34, interceding with the Father for me in heaven today. Should we add that to the equation? I don't think so. Ask yourself this question. When our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, intercedes in heaven with the judge on the throne of the universe, when he intercedes day by day, what is the case which he pleads on our behalf? He only has one case. He only has one plea. Father, I died for them. That's all he says. I died for them. Look at my hands, Father. Look at my side and my feet. These holes in my scalp. Look at these lash marks on my back and the bruises on my face. Look at me, Father. I paid it all. And the Father looks on the Son and glorifies the Son by maintaining a sweet, loving, caring relation with us sinners in Christ. So, what are we going to do with these two truths? The resurrection and the interceding of Christ in relation to this equation. And uh, what I did, and you can do it another way, there's not just one right way to draw glory. 
I, uh, I found in my computer under the font menu how to double underline. You know, that's simple, but I'm not real smart with computers. But I found it, and I double underlined the equation. Now I drew a line from one of the underlines and said, He is risen. And I drew a line from the other underline to, and he intercedes with me forever. Because the way I understand my own redemption and your redemption is that we have a just judge, a guilty sinner, John Piper. Well, put your name in there. And the death of Christ equaling no condemnation underlined by he is risen and therefore that death is valid. He intercedes and therefore that death lasts forever in heaven and will never be removed from the sight of the Father so that he always attends to the death of the Son. And Jesus is continually getting glory for my presence in heaven forever and ever as God loves me in Christ. Well, are we finished? We're not quite finished. We're almost finished. But I have to ask one more question with you. And that question is this. If you take the equation, how do you make it your own? Some of you probably came into the room this morning. You hadn't thought about this equation and surely it hadn't been the foundation stone of your life. Should you now add yourself into the equation? So it would read, just judge God plus guilty sinner John Piper plus death of Christ plus faith in Christ equals no condemnation. Is that the way we should draw it? Maybe. I thought about it. Wouldn't be wrong. But you know why I don't want to do that? I want to do it another way. Is because... I love the way this equation, as it now stands, just judge plus guilty sinner plus death of Christ equals no condemnation. I love the way that equation exalts the work of God. This is God's work. This is God's work. Jesus died for a guilty sinner to vindicate the justice of God so that no condemnation would belong to... And then here's what I did. I drew a big heart around it. I drew a big heart around the whole equation. Those who take the whole equation and say, yes, that's the answer to my life. Yes, that's where I'm going to stand. Yes, that's the foundation of my hope for eternal life. That's my only escape from a conscience that condemns me. And so however you want to draw it, However you want to draw it, I hope that when we're done here and we're almost done, that you would hear the gospel. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the heart and soul of the Bible and of Christianity, that there's a a just judge and there are guilty people like me and there's the death of a great and holy Christ, perfect, bearing my sins, and there is a verdict, no condemnation, if you will have it. If you will take it and say, yes, that's true, that's beautiful, that's my only hope with a holy God. We're all going to die someday. And nothing that we will have ever done will commend us to a holy God. Nothing, nothing.
Only one thing will commend you to God. Christ will commend you to God. And if you are in Christ, having taken this wonderful gospel equation and said, that's my life. I love the God of that equation, the Christ of that equation, the glory and truth of that equation. I embrace it to my soul. That's my standard now. That's my platform. That's my life. You will be saved. I want to close with a letter that I got. Uh, I opened yesterday. I came on Wednesday, I think, from a pastor in California. This is it right here. It's real precious to me. I'm going to leave out just a few things to not be inappropriate. But I, I was pondering as I was coming to the end of my preparations yesterday. Lord, how can I bring this home and show the people another illustration besides Troy's and my life and others in this room? Just another illustration of how it can make such a difference if we experience no condemnation and all that God is for us now in Christ. It's home. Let me read this to you. This is the letter. Just a word of thanksgiving to God. I serve a wonderful congregation in a small town in central California. On February 14 of this year, so that would have been what, eight, 18 weeks, I mean eight weeks ago or so, um, Tony, a young man of 27 years old who had been visiting us, took his own life. He left behind a family that loved him, which included four beautiful children, and one resounding question, why? As I watched the medical examiners pull his stiffened body out of a van, a sense of dread came over me. I asked myself, what could have possessed him to say such a thing? Now, notice the, the wording there, possessed him. So his question was, what got into him? He's going to reverse that question in a minute. Just keep that in your mind. What could have possessed him to, to do such a thing? This question haunted me, my heart, my mind, through the following weeks. It was like a cold draft that invaded the warmth of my family and ministry. It ultimately caused me to take a leave of absence from our church to search for answers. If you wonder whether that ever happens to pastors, well, it does. Experiences that are so hard... So perplexing and so many people looking to the answer man that you just say, I think I'll just quit for a while. I don't have an answer. That's what he did. It was during this time that I was led quite providentially to the truth of living by faith in future grace. God's grace and the power of his spirit opened a door in my heart through which I could behold the wondrous beauty of God in Christ. This beauty has helped me better apprehend the purpose for which I was created, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In the end, I learned... Now here he's going to switch around that phrase. In the end, I learned that it, was, it wasn't what possessed Tony that compelled him to take his life. It was rather what he didn't possess and he put in parentheses, apprehend. What he didn't possess or apprehend, that's why I did this a minute ago. Take this equation and all that God is for you in it and apprehend it. What, what he didn't possess, all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. I have felt, no, I have left all other questions concerning this matter, along with Tony's life in the 
hands of a sovereign God. Through it all, God's grace has sustained me and even more has strengthened me that I might joyfully lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. This joy has permeated my heart and mine and has now overflowed onto my wife and daughter and church and community. End of letter. These are precious letters. Now, my prayer is that you'll be able to write a letter like that to somebody tonight because of this service or things that have been happening in your life recently that bring you to a turning point maybe in this service. And so I'd like to pray now with you and maybe I'll just uh, lead us all in a prayer that all of us could join in. Believers could join in and those who are here perhaps on the brink of faith would be moved to pray. So let's pray together. I would venture, God, because of the gospel that I've just heard, to call you Father. I believe you are not only a Father, but a very just and holy God. And you are a righteous judge. And I tremble, because if Pastor John thinks he's a sinner... I know I'm a sinner. And I feel the force of it because my conscience tells me every day I fail. I fail my own standard, not to mention yours, God. And I don't feel confident or bold before you at all because you are very holy and I am very unclean. But now I have heard that Christ, your Son, died in my place. And that he bore sins. And that he was raised and is alive today to vindicate that death and to intercede for me. And that the result of this substitution and death is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I trust Christ. I trust you. I trust the gospel. I believe this message. I take this equation and I make it my own. And I believe that it coming into me by my faith is my coming into you so that there is now no condemnation on my head. And I thank you, and when we sing in just a moment, I'm going to sing these songs of confession and affirmation with all my heart. Now, there's one last thing I want us to do, and that is open our worship folder and take out that little card. This is going to take about three minutes to do, and then we're going to close in song. The reason I have this card in the worship folder is three or fourfold. Number one, you see that first box there? May we pray for you. We do this every week. We collect prayer requests. And you can start writing there and go on to the back. And this is for everybody. I hope everybody fills this out. I wrote one. Here's what I wrote on mine in the first service. Pray for a fruitful writing leave. The elders have assigned me to go on a writing leave here for the next 
several weeks, and I have a project, and I would like everybody, especially the staff, to pray for me. So I'm going to put this in the pile. And on Tuesday, when they gather to pray, over several hundred of these cards, they'll pray for you just like they'll pray for me. The next box is... Are you interested in a class called Quest for Joy to go deeper in the Christian faith and to find out more about it? Check that. We'd be in touch with you if you give us your name and address. The next box says, I'd like guidance in knowing and following Christ. It could be another way besides the class. We'd love to connect. And the fourth one would be the kind that give us so much encouragement. And that's why we're just greedy for encouragement around here. We really are. We love to see God at work and therefore we hate it when he works and we don't know about it. So, if God has been moving in your life in recent days, got you to this service, moved on you, changed your heart, opened you to the truth of the gospel that I've been trying to make clear, so that right now, because you have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord this morning, why don't you check that? And if you want us to be in touch with you, we will. If you don't want us to be, we won't. But we would love to know about that. It's so fitting that you move on into a life of discipleship, be baptized by the Lord or by the church, and then move on into a living relationship with God's people. And then anything else that's there. So let's, while Carol plays on the piano, let's fill these out, prayer requests or anything else that's relevant. And as you fill them out, pass them to an aisle and the ushers will come when I invite them in about one minute.